You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. The Lord was just visiting our small group in in very cool ways, and we had seen a bunch of healings. And so uh, one week, this very conservative Christian young man visited the church. And uh, he was struggling. Uh, He had a a nerve condition, a neuropathy. He was uh, in constant nerve pain down one leg, and it was chronic, you know, chronic pain. It's just so debilitating, right? And so somebody said, well, you should go to the Sang small group because they see a lot of healings in their group, and somebody will pray for you there, and, and, and maybe you'll get healed. So he showed up at my door one night um, during uh, our small group night, came in, and we introduced ourselves and said, hey, it's so nice for you visiting. You know, how did you hear about us? And he explained the story. He said, I came tonight. Uh, to be healed of nerve pain, hopefully. Now, he came from a very conservative Christian tradition that did not believe that stuff like this happened anymore, but the dude was desperate, yeah? And so he showed up on the off chance that he would work. Very buttoned down, very, very proper. And we had a a young guy in the group uh, who was uh, kind of attracted to Jesus, but he was a very troubled young man. He was uh, uh, super addicted to, to drugs, and he lived a sort of a hyper promiscuous uh, lifestyle in the gay bars. Like every night he would go out and hook up with somebody in the gay bars. Uh, and then he would get high. So super troubled guy, very messy. And if you met him, it was obvious uh, that he was in trouble. But he had found something in Jesus and he kept showing up. You know, it's like, this is life. I want this. So uh, it came time to, to pray for uh, the sick during the small group. And uh, this hyper-promiscuous, sinful guy said, you know, when you guys pray for people, you do it wrong. Because I read these Jesus stories in the Bible, and Jesus would be like, be healed. And then the person was suddenly healed. And some guys, sometimes you guys pray for 10 minutes. That's wrong. Just say it and get on with it. All right, Mr. Expert. Um, why don't you heal our visitor who has chronic nerve pain? So this guy, Chuck, said, all right. And he gets up and he walks across the room. And the look of terror on the face of Mr. Conservative Christian was this reprehensible human being is about to lay hands on me. And I don't like this at all. I probably don't believe in it anyway. And so Chuck went over there and grabbed the guy's uh, leg that was on fire with nerve pain and said, be healed, there. And then the look of terror on the conservative Christian's face doubled because he was like, it worked. (laughs) He was totally healed uh, instantly. Uh, After that week, Chuck, uh, the reprehensible human being, kept coming back to the small group the conservative Christian never seen again. That was too much for him. Uh, but what Chuck was experiencing was, of course, uh, that cardinal Christian virtue, that most unique of all Christian virtues, grace. Grace. And this is the thing that you have as a follower of Jesus that can be found nowhere else in the world. This is your signature. 
This is the thing that makes you most unique. Love exists in various forms. Truth exists in various forms, even outside uh, the environs of the church. But grace, man, it's really, really hard to find it in the world. I wanted to read uh, one of my uh, favorite stories about this uh, from Scripture. Um, given the stories that I've shared this morning, it might even sound a little bit familiar. It comes from the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, and it, it's the story of the woman who had been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. Do you know this story? One of the coolest stories from the Gospels, one of my favorites, from Mark chapter 5. Now, the setting is... Uh, that Jesus is kind of getting going in his public ministry now, and he's getting a little reputation, and the news about Jesus is starting to circulate around the land. And uh, he has uh, just taken a recent boat trip uh, as the story unfolds, and he, he's uh, walking away from the beach. Crowds have been waiting for him. They're, they're gathering around him because they want to see the next cool thing uh, that he's going to do. Uh, and, and he indeed gets called to heal uh, uh, a member of an important person's family. And so he has a little entourage. He has an agenda. And that's how the story opens. This great crowd is marching with him on this mission down the street. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Basically, she had been menstruating for 12 years straight. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. So the story gets even worse. You know, she had impoverished herself trying to solve this problem. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Is that how you guys do ministry at, at this church? You put the prayer ministry team up front, probably. They turn their backs on everyone. And then one by one, you sneak up behind them and get them. And kind of grab your miracle. It's a model for you to do this morning. But somehow she thinks it's how it works. Uh, if I just touch his clothes, that will be enough. I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So doggone it, it does work. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, well, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you? His disciples answered. There's just a whole press of people, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Jesus, everybody's bumping against you. But no, he was like, that was special. That was different. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is one of, of nine or ten times in the Gospels in which Jesus paused after somebody had received a miracle of healing and deliverance and said, that was some awesome faith right there. I like that. Do everybody see that? That's what I'm talking about. That's faith. You know, it's like he didn't even give glory to the Father. He honored the faith of the person who was in pursuit. Jesus loved faith. Just loved it. He loved try. Just absolutely loved it. And when he saw it, he would just do backflips for them. 
Uh, you might notice in the story that when uh, the woman gets called out, when she has to uh, come clean about the miracle that she had received, she comes before Jesus and falls down in fear. What's going on there? Well, you may or may not know that a woman who was bleeding was considered ceremonially unclean in that culture. She wasn't supposed to be out in public. She was considered a contaminant. And also, because she had been bleeding for 12 years, people probably thought she might you know, actually be sick and, and have a sickness to spread. Um, there are all sorts of reasons she wasn't supposed to lead, leave her house and enter the public sphere. That whole crowd would have been considered ceremonially unclean, unable to worship until being cleansed. That was a crime, what she did. In that culture, she literally could have been killed for it, according to the law. But that's not all she did wrong. She snuck up in the crowd and touched a man, which would have been considered very socially inappropriate uh, in those days. Very socially inappropriate. So she could have been in trouble for that. Not only did she touch a man, she touched a rabbi, a holy man, a religious teacher. So this just gets worse and worse and worse. What she did would have legally been considered assault and a sex crime uh, in that culture. And so when Jesus says, who touched me? What's going through her head? And it's like, well, I received my miracle, but now I'm going to get in trouble. But she did all of that anyway, knowing that it was wrong. Why? And all we know about her is that she had heard something about Jesus, right? Obviously, had never met him because she had been shut in for 12 years, you know, complete shutdown, shelter in place, COVID scenario, her own personal COVID scenario uh, for 12 years, you know. But she'd heard something about Jesus that made her feel that she ought to break all the rules and press through the crowd and find him. And that if she did it, she would receive a miracle? Think about how crazy that thinking was. We read it in the Bible and we're like, yes, Bible story. But think about what actually went through her head, right? What in the world had she heard about Jesus that made her think that this was remotely all right? What do you think? Audience participation. Audience participation. What do you think? He's kind. Different. There's a good word. That word different. Jesus was different. That can be unpacked and understood. He heals. Obviously, she had heard some of the healing miracle stories. He touched the sick. Jesus touched the sick. So what would happen if the sick touched Jesus? You know, something like that? Yeah, there was one over here. What was it? He might be my only chance. Like, I'm sick of this. What do I have to lose? Maybe this guy is my ticket upward. Yeah. She trusted, yeah. She trusted something about Jesus, right? Something that she had heard about. One more. He hung out with people on the edge. Yeah, he was famous for that, right? Like his crowd was not the proper crowd, right? That probably figured it. And then, ma'am? 
He broke the rules. Yeah, I think we're starting to drill down to it now. I think she heard Jesus was powerful, Jesus was kind, but Jesus was inappropriate. He was inappropriate. He was this incredible mix of godliness and inappropriateness. And a great word for that is the word grace. I think she'd heard about grace. She probably didn't have that word in her language set, but I think she had gotten the idea that Jesus was grace-based in some fashion. Jesus is inappropriate. And if you are going to have great faith, if you are going to have great try in your life, then you're going to have to get the fact that Jesus is inappropriate. You're going to have to understand grace because great faith only ever grows in an atmosphere of grace. That's the kingdom principle. Great faith only ever grows in a community where grace is made clear. Uh, and, and the greatest faith is faith anyway. Faith that you shouldn't even try. Maybe it's against the rules. Maybe it seems a little off. Maybe you think you're a little off. But you're going to try anyway as if God is totally with you. Turn to the person to your left and to your right and be like, maybe you're a little off. Here's my definition of grace. I think we need to understand this. It's a word we throw around. Here's grace. Grace is a combination of two things, two things in tension. Grace is a very clear standard plus a tremendous generosity with respect to how that standard is applied. Very clear rule and a total generosity and easiness about how that rule is applied willingness to let it go a little bit. And both things have to be true. So the world doesn't understand grace at all. So what the world does is it pretends there are no rules. The rules don't matter. It's not clear. Maybe it's not even a truth. Or that ah, there's no judgment, you know, total licentiousness or something like that. But Christians hold the two in tension. There are rules. It's just that God's cool, <laughs> you know, that God's really generous, you know. He has enough character and generosity to not, you know, hold you to task all the time, you know. I think this is the message of the cross, of course, the original lie that the serpent told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was that God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because if you do, you'll be powerful and knowledgeable like he is. In other words, you can't trust him. Um, he's trying to lord it over you. And if you had seen Jesus on the cross the day he died, humiliated, naked, bleeding in front of everybody, uh, you would say, if that guy is God, he's not interested in lording it over anyone. 
You know, sometimes we preach the cross and we say, the, pro- the cross is God forgiving you of your sin. True enough, true enough. But I think a more accurate way to preach the message of the humiliated God on the cross is, God would rather die than make a big deal of your sin. Is sin a big deal? Yes, but for different reasons. Sin is a big deal because it hurts you, right? God doesn't want you to do anything harmful, and so he gives you rules to teach you, you know, what's harmful, what's good to avoid, what's good to embrace, that sort of thing. Um, But, uh, you know, he'd rather die than let your mistakes come between you and, and him. And if you don't want to die, don't let sin dominate you. Because your sin doesn't keep God from you. But your sin may erode you to a point that it takes you away from God. Ruins your brain, ruins your heart, ruins your spirit, that sort of thing. Sin is cancerous. God is curative. The funny thing about grace, uh, particularly to Christians, this is why Christians often fail to understand it, is that it seems as if grace should offend God. Right? Because it seems like if you break the rules, you're dishonoring God. And therefore, it's very important not to break the rules. Eh. Sorta. Sorta. I love what, uh, how Paul puts it that the law came so that grace may abound all the more. God gave us rules so that we recognize that we make mistakes and celebrate God's generosity toward us all the more, you know, because we just realize that we need him, we need his generosity. Um, One more quick scripture. Can I read you a story from John chapter 8? This is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Do you know this story? Um, It has a funny history. Um, John chapter 8, 2 through 11. So Jesus' main opponents in the gospel story were the religious leaders of his day. They got upset at him for being overly generous and inappropriate. So they were really upset. These are actually the people that killed him, right? They plotted to kill him. Jesus was killed because people thought he was a licentious playboy. That's how radically generous he was. He was killed because people thought he dishonored God with his attitude of generosity and freedom. At dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. How did they catch her in adultery? And where's the guy? Uh, Little questions that pop into my head. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, here's the rule, Jesus commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They're trying to make him say that, oh, I don't respect the law. That's what they're trying to get him to say. And then they're like, aha, you can't be trusted. They were using this question as a trap, in other words, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Bends down and starts doodling in the, in the soil. 
When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone on her. Very famous uh, saying, right? Even non-believers know this. He who was out sin cast the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He goes back to drawing something in the, in the earth. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, uh, respecting social propriety and rules, of course. After you, elder. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? I imagine he did that little cheeky tone. No one, sir, she said, probably still shaking because she thought she was going to be killed. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, among other reasons, they're trying to kill you. Right? And off she went. Um, great story. Um, I read this, you know, Bible commentaries about this story, and, and uh, they, uh, they often try to guess at what he was writing on the ground. Have you read these? You know, maybe talked about it maybe in your Bible studies or something. If it were important to know what he was writing in the dirt when he bent down, I think probably we would have been told. Um, I don't think it's about what he's doing in the dirt. I think it's about what he's not doing. What he's not doing is he refuses to look at the woman in her moment of shame. Grace is not just God forgiving your sins. Grace is God not even wanting to see you doing something embarrassing. That's the attitude of heaven. And when he does finally look her in the face, it's when things have been made safe. And then he's like, okay, now, sweetheart, let's have a real conversation. Yeah. He's so protective and so honoring. It's very clear. Hey, leave your life of sin. You and I both know you're not, you're not playing a fair game. Did she know that before she got caught? I think she knew she was in sin. All the rules made it clear. Did the rules keep her from sin? Do you think after this grace encounter with Jesus, she's more or less likely to have left her life of sin? Grace frees you from sin in a way that rules never could. Right, and this story makes it clear. Um, to finish, the kingdom of heaven thrives in grace. Thrives in grace. This is what makes faith work. You don't judge anyone, and you don't judge yourself. Are there rules? Are there sins? Are there things that you would be super wise to avoid? Sure. You might not even need anyone's help to point them out. You probably understand them pretty well, even if you're brand new to seeking after Jesus, right? But here's the thing you have to understand first and foremost. Jesus is all about grace. Heaven is all about grace. That's the thing that lets you participate. That's the thing that lets you enter in. Grace. God would rather die than embarrass you. And on that basis, you get to try anything. You get to hop up today and heal somebody's broken shoulder. If you want, you get to try it. 
Because what are the qualifications of entering the kingdom of God? Well, the qualifications are kind of knowing there are no qualifications, right? The qualifications of growth um, is knowing that you need to grow, and that's about all there is to it. Are you feeling it? Um, Father God, I pray uh, for this house, wherever it is in the city, uh, that you would grow us in a soil of grace. Sometimes that means the good things grow up with the bad things, but you'll sort them out later. And I bless you, brothers and sisters, to be great triers of godly things, knowing that your heavenly Father does not sweat the details or the standards. Be free in Jesus' name to be free on this earth. Heavenly Father, I ask you to send the Holy Spirit to rest upon this congregation this morning, uh, wherever they are, from wherever they come, in whatever condition they are in. I pray for a powerful revelation of your attitude of grace, such that the attitude of faith would be freed in us. Come, Holy Spirit, work among us now.